0: Glory. That's good. Welcome to the Oasis. We're glad you're here. I hope you're glad you're here. Luke chapter 7. If you were here before worship, you heard this passage, but you're going to hear it again. You're going to get a double dose of this passage of Scripture this morning. Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 36 through verse 50. I just want to read this passage again. And then I'll lay my Bible aside and just share with you from my heart today about this passage of Scripture. Please follow along as I read Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. Then when a woman of that town who was a sinner learned that Jesus was dining at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfumed oil. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and anointed them with the perfumed oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman this is who's touching him, that she is a sinner. So Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He replied, say it, teacher. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed him 500 silver coins and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Jesus said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss of greeting, but from the time I entered, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfumed oil. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which were many, are forgiven. Thus she loved much, but the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We are in the midst of a sermon series through the Gospel of Luke, looking at the story of Jesus. And today we come to this passage that really expresses to us extravagant love. And we see that extravagant love from two sides in this passage. We see the extravagant love of Jesus, and we obviously see the extravagant love of this woman in the passage toward Jesus. There are three main characters in the passage, the Pharisee, Jesus, and the woman. And we're going to deal with this passage in that way, looking at each of those characters. But before we get into the passage this morning, just one sort of contextual detail, okay? It is very obvious and very clear that before this took place, this scene in the Pharisees' house, that this woman had already had an encounter with Jesus at some time in the past, okay? That's very clear, okay? So I want you to keep that in mind. This is not obviously the first time this woman has had a meeting or an encounter with Jesus. They've already met at some point in the past. And now here comes this scene. So let's first talk about the Pharisee. We see in the passage that the Pharisee invited Jesus to his house to be his guest, but he did not treat him properly, okay? He invited Jesus to his house as a guest, but he did not value Jesus. He he did not show Jesus that he was of any value or anything special to him by the way he did not treat Jesus when he came to his house. The things that Jesus pointed out there later in the passage that the Pharisee didn't do, that the woman was doing, were not like crazy things. They were actually things that were expected in that culture of a host, to do for one who was visiting their home as a guest. It was always expected that they would have somebody there to wash your feet as you came into the house. It was expected that you would have some kind of proper greeting when you came into the house, and that you would have an anointing done when you came into the house. And Jesus is pointing out, Simon, you didn't do any of that. For me you didn't treat me even as a, a guest much less as the lord of glory you see you you place no worth or value upon me so there's that and then we also see in this passage that simon the pharisee questions the legitimacy of jesus remember the woman is there you know Wiping his feet with her hair and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfumed oil. And the Pharisee says, Well, if this man knew who and what kind of woman this was who's touching him, you know, if he truly were a prophet, someone who's in touch with God, someone who's in tune with God, in other words, he's basically saying, This man can't even be a prophet. This man can't even be one who's in touch or in tune with God because if he was, he wouldn't be allowing this dirty, sinful woman to touch him in any way because she's contaminating him and he doesn't care. So much in here we could talk about this morning. First of all, it's pretty obvious that the Pharisees have that wrong, that you and I can't be contaminated by just being around sinners. In fact, my question would be, how do we take the love and light of Jesus to those who are sinners in need of him if we're never around them? One of the things that disturbs me in these last couple of years is I've seen Christians continue to sort of isolate themselves and pull themselves away and pull themselves back from the society that we are called to reach. And I wonder then how are we going to carry out the purposes of God as his people if we continue to pull away from those that we are called to bring the light and love of God to. We'll get to that a little bit more later on. And then you'll notice something else about the Pharisee in this passage of Scripture. First of all, he is saying these things to himself, and yet Jesus has already read his mind and heart. And that's when Jesus says, Simon, based upon what you're thinking, even though you don't think I know what you're thinking, but because I'm God, I know what you're thinking... I want to ask you something. And he says, okay, bring it on. Teacher, say it. And Jesus says, okay, let me give you an illustration, Simon. It says this creditor has two debtors, one who owes 500 silver coins, the other one 50, so one 10 times as much as the other. It says neither one has the ability to repay the debt, so the creditor goes ahead and cancels the debt of both. Which one of those is going to love and appreciate that more than the other. And Simon says, well, I suppose the one who has the greater debt. And Jesus says, ding, 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 ding. You have judged rightly. Yeah. Simon, you were able to give me the right answer, but you have no love in your heart. We need to be careful of that as Christians. Sometimes we can set ourselves on a path as a follower of Jesus Christ, and we can be one who loves to accumulate a bunch of knowledge. And there's nothing wrong with being studious and studying and all of that, but we must be careful, again, that our head and our heart remain balanced throughout our Christian life. Because here is a man who was able to give Jesus the right answer. And as a Pharisee, he would have been able to answer all of Jesus' biblical questions. In fact, probably better than most of us could answer them, as far as at least the Old Testament Scriptures. He could give all the right answers to Jesus' questions, but he had no love in his heart. Let's make sure that as we go through our life, that we're not only learning, but we are loving. That learning and loving must go together. That what we are taking in as a believer in Jesus Christ is something that then lovingly needs to be expressed to not only God, but to those around us. I mean, even when we share the truth, the Bible says, speak it, but do it always in love. In love. So that's the Pharisee. That's about all the time I want to spend on him. Let's talk about Jesus for a moment. The first thing I want us to see about Jesus is that Jesus accepts the invitation of the Pharisee as well as accepting the love and adoration of this woman. Jesus always is open to accepting our invitations. Jesus will not force himself into our lives or upon us, but he is always open to the invitations. Are we inviting Jesus into our lives? Are we inviting Jesus into every aspect and every part of our life as we become a disciple and continue to walk as a disciple with him? Jesus is always open to invitations, even invitations from those that he knows doesn't even like him. Again, he knew what kind of reception he was going to get at that Pharisee's house. He knew that that Pharisee was simply like many of the other ones. They were just there to size him up and to critically assess everything that he did and try to pick it apart. Jesus knew that he was going into that environment, and yet he went anyway because he was trying to bring some love and light even to that one who he knew really did have no value for Jesus at all. But Jesus knew this man needed his love and light as much as the woman who's in the passage. In fact, the reason I'm even doing these in the order I am is, is Jesus, you can tell, is sort of right smack dab in the middle of this individual and this individual. And yet you can see this great contrast between Simon the Pharisee and the woman in the passage as to how they are relating to Jesus. Jesus accepts invitations. And it is very interesting that Jesus accepted the love and adoration of this woman. I mean, in a sense, he's accepting her worship, you see, in this passage. And by the way, Much of what this woman did would have been culturally like, ooh, you know, touching his feet, kissing his feet, and all of that. That, that was a little edgy in that culture. And yet Jesus is accepting what this woman is doing. The other thing, obviously, we note in this passage is that Jesus loves sinners. Oh, Jesus loves sinners. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that he does. Because if Jesus didn't love sinners, we would all be lost. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you'll note in this passage that her sinfulness is highlighted in order to magnify the grace and love of God. Three times in this passage, she is referred to as a sinner. First of all, Luke, the author of this book, at the very beginning says, This woman who was a sinner in town, very well known sinner, came to the Pharisee's house. Then later on, the Pharisee says, If this man, Jesus, knew that this woman was such a sinner, and even Jesus later on says, This woman's sins, which were many, he does not sugarcoat where this woman was coming from. We don't know specifically. There's speculation as to what this woman was, but we have no clear proof of what this woman was, but here's what we know. Her past was extremely wicked. She was preeminently a sinner, okay? And yet Jesus has shown this woman already, I love you. Because God's love for each of us as human beings is unconditional love. He chooses as God to love us even though, like this woman, He knows everything about us. Everything. He knows everything we have done, everything we're doing, and everything we will do, and yet He still says, I love you. Think about that. And can you imagine what kind of impact that would have had on that woman when she realized that? Because I've got to believe that maybe this woman never had been loved, truly loved, in her whole life. She'd maybe been used, but not loved. And not loved just for what she did or what she didn't do, but just love for being, just love for who she is. And yet the first time somewhere in the past when she met Jesus, she finally came upon another human being, the God-man, who loved her. And she sensed that. That even though he knew everything about her, he still was expressing his love to her. Jesus loves sinners. Do you know that God loves you and me as a sinner? And yet, in spite of knowing everything about us, he still loves us. And then at this point, we sort of have to ask this question. Do we, as God's followers who are to imitate him, do we love sinners? Let me share something with you that I'd like you to consider today. How cruel, distasteful would it be if you or I went up to someone who was physically blind and we began to berate them, belittle them, criticize them, and judge them because they couldn't see? That'd be cruel. That'd be cruel. That'd be hateful. That'd be very distasteful. And yet I would like to submit to you that many times as Christians, we do the same thing to those who don't know Christ. We belittle them, we berate them, we criticize them, we judge them because they can't see because they can't, they're, they can't see things the way we see them, that they aren't doing the things that, that we feel like they should be doing. Folks, the Bible tells us they're spiritually blind. How can we expect those who don't know Christ yet and have the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life to see things the way we see them, because the only way we see it that way is because God is in our life. And he's changed us. That's why the Bible tells us that we need to love them. Because they're never going to come to our Savior by hating them, but by loving them. And it doesn't mean that you and I have to capitulate It doesn't mean that you and I have to compromise our own standards and what we believe, but it does mean, like Jesus, we are to love them. Do we love sinners as much as Jesus loves us? You'll also notice in this passage something even as important as that, and that is that Jesus forgives sin. Because he tells this woman, your sins are... And by the way, one of the reasons we know that this woman has already met Jesus at some point is when Jesus tells her that her sins are forgiven, he's using the perfect tense in the Greek language. That means it speaks of a past action that's already happened. Your sins are already forgiven you. That's what Jesus is saying here. Your sins are already forgiven I have wiped them out. And he's reassuring her, your sins are forgiven. Have you heard in your life that your sins are forgiven? Do you know today that through Jesus, your sins are already forgiven? Past, present, and future. Wiped out thrown into the depths of the sea, separated from us as far as the east is west, never brought up to us again. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, Paul said. No condemnation. If you're feeling condemned, that's either, either coming from you or coming from our spiritual enemy, but that condemnation, that shame, and that guilt is not coming from Jesus Christ. Once he forgave you, you are forgiven for all time. All time. Your sins are already forgiven. Can you imagine what that did to this woman? And then notice also, he sends her away as he will us with his blessing. At the very end of verse 50, he says, now go in peace. Go in the peace that I alone can give you, that peace of mind Are we living in that peace of mind today as Christians? Are we living in the peace of Jesus Christ, that wholeness and fullness found in his love? He wants us to not only know his peace, but to live in that peace and to go in that peace and to operate our life every day in the peace that, again, only Jesus can provide us. It is his peace. He calls it that in John chapter 15. My peace I give to you, my peace. And so he sends this woman away with his blessing. Well, let's talk about the woman for a moment because she's actually the one that even Jesus says, I want you to take a look at this woman here. First of all, this woman was not saved by her works. She was not saved because she was pouring out her love upon Jesus. She is clearly saved, according to Jesus in this passage, verse 50, by her faith. Your faith has saved you. Because that's the only way that we can be saved. When we stop trying to fix ourselves because we can't, And we realize that we need one who's outside of us to be able to come in and save us, that we have a need greater than what we can deal with. And it's this need of a savior because we have this sin issue. And and the only one who can save us is the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, we are putting all of our trust, all of our confidence, all of our belief in him and what he's already done for us on the cross, and in his resurrection. And when we do that, the Bible says that faith placed in Jesus becomes our salvation. So let me ask all of us a question today, even those who are watching from your homes this morning. Was there a time in your life where you placed your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation? Because if not, then you're not saved. There's only one mediator between God and men, and that's the man Christ Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father but by me. Neither is there salvation in any other. Jesus Christ is it. And and if you and I don't come to a time in our life where we place our faith in Jesus Christ, then we are lost. And the only way of salvation is Jesus Christ. Have you placed your faith like this woman in Je- And notice, it doesn't matter what your past is like. It doesn't matter what your sin and all of that is because the love and grace of Jesus Christ can wipe it all out. There, there is no situation in humanity where there's someone beyond the love and grace of God. That simply does not exist according to the Bible. Anyone and everyone can come To faith in Jesus Christ for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so if you were to die today do you know for sure where you would go do you know do you have that confidence not based upon your performance not based upon you being a good enough or trying to be a good enough person but there was a time in your life where like this woman your faith in Jesus Christ, saved you. So what is taking place here then in this passage? It is this woman coming to the realization and grips of her salvation, and she wants to pour out her love. You see, her behavior in this passage is an expression of her love to Jesus for being loved and forgiven by him. It was not the means of her salvation. It's an expression of her gratitude and her love and her thanksgiving for what Jesus has done for her. She is loving him because he first loved her. That's the way it goes with us. We pour out our love on Jesus because we understand he first loved us. Loved us knowing all about us. And that's what's happening here. Let's talk about what she did a little bit here. Notice at the beginning of the passage, it says, as soon as she heard where Jesus was dining, she wanted to be there. She wanted to get close to Jesus. Because that, when you and I love the Lord, that's what we're going to want. We're going to want to be wherever Jesus is. We're going to want to be close to Jesus and continue to follow Jesus closely. And then you see that she brought this alabaster jar of perfumed oil. It would have been the most valued, precious thing that this woman owned. In fact, everything that I've ever studied about this alabaster jar of perfumed oil would have been that any gal that had one of these in those times, they were worth about a year's wages. Think about that. This woman is pouring out a year's worth of wages on the feet of Jesus. Would you and I pour out a year's worth of our salary upon the feet of Jesus? Do we value him that much? Do we love him that much that it wouldn't matter our most precious valued thing we would be willing to give to Jesus as an expression of our love and adoration for him. And then you see the emotion of this woman. As soon as she gets there and she stands behind Jesus, the the weeping and the tears just begin to flow so much that it says it literally wet his feet. And she stoops down and she begins to dry his precious feet with her hair and, and she begins to kiss them. And she begins to anoint them with this perfumed oil that would have literally filled the house. Simon's house would have been filled with the, with the aroma, if you will, the fragrance of this oil. And, and, and Jesus would have carried this with him. And, and this woman would have had this. I mean, it would have permeated everything because she poured it out. You see, Jesus even says to Simon, you know the reason that she loves much is because she has come to grips with the magnitude of her sin and depravity. And one of the things that Jesus is pointing out here is even amongst those who we call ourselves God followers that many times we have come to to believe we're not so bad. We're pretty good people. We're not as bad and wicked of sinners as, as other people are because instead of comparing ourselves to the perfection and the holiness of God, we compare ourselves to other human beings. And therefore, we begin to tell ourselves, we're not so bad, we're pretty good, and we have no concept about how depraved all of us are before a perfect and holy God. And therefore, we do not appreciate our salvation and our Savior as much as we should. And that's what Jesus is saying. Those who think they've been forgiven little loves little. I'm not such a bad person. I'm pretty good. No. That's why the Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. See, most of the time we don't want to really face how sinful and depraved we are. We all fail God every day, even as his followers in thought, word, and deed every day. And I'm not saying that we dwell on how bad we are, but I'm saying that one of the things that inspires and stirs our love for God and our worship of God is when every once in a while we come to grips with our own sinfulness and depravity and realize how great our Savior is and how much He loves us, though He knows all about us, and that we are just amazed that this God would love us that way and be willing to forgive us and then entertain the fact that he wants to spend an eternity with us. But this woman, she came to that reality. And Jesus says, she loved much. She loved much. I want you to see one other thing. In verse 44... Jesus does something very intentionally with his body language. You'll notice the Bible says he turns away from Simon, turns toward the woman, and yet speaks to Simon. And what does he say to Simon when he turns away from him and looks at the woman? He says to Simon, do you see this woman? Now, Jesus isn't asking the, the Pharisee, do you physically see the woman? Of course he sees her. But Jesus is saying, do you get what's going on here? Do you perceive what's going on? Do you discern what's going on? Do you see the great contrast, Simon, between you and how you're relating to me and her and how she's relating to me? Do you see her? And I think the other thing Jesus is saying is, you know what's wrong, Simon? You're as much in need of my love and forgiveness as she is, but you don't see it. And you still see this woman, and all you see is her past. That's how you see her. You see her as a sinner. I don't see her past. When I look at her now, I see her present and her future. I don't see her the way you see her. I see her as my forgiven princess. That's how I see her. Do you see this woman, Simon? And the reason I bring that up is because even in our lives sometimes, we need to check ourselves and make sure that we're not seeing ourselves different from the way God sees us. And that we're not seeing others different from the way God sees them. We are to see ourselves through the eyes of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are to see others through the eyes of Jesus as well. Do you see this woman? Jesus is saying. Maybe as you see yourself, you see yourself And all you see is your past. All you see is your failures. And maybe that's the way other people see you at times. But how does Jesus see you? Jesus sees you as a valuable treasure of his, as his masterpiece, as someone that no matter what your past is like, once you've come to him, you've got a glorious future and purpose ahead of you. How do you see yourself? And how do you see others? Jesus says to Simon, this woman's sins are already forgiven. Thus she loved much. But those who feel like there's little to be forgiven, they love little. See, when it comes right down to it, really the heart of the whole thing comes down to do we really love Jesus? Do we really love Jesus? It's the greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And yet Jesus even reminded us in the book of Revelation chapter 3 that it's possible even as Christians, to drift away and to drift back from our love of Jesus, that we can lose our first love, that our love for Jesus can grow cold over time, that as many things in life, familiarity can breed contempt, and and we, we start not appreciating who Jesus is and what we have in Jesus as time moves on. I think one of the great values of this story in the story of Jesus is reminding us when it's all said and done, it's about accepting his extravagant love for us and allowing his extravagant love for us to then stir within us an extravagant love back to him. Let us love the Lord with all our heart all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. And as they come, I'm going to ask you to stand with me and we're going to close in prayer. Father, I pray today that, Lord, our time in your house has been a time, Lord, where we have, Lord, realized anew. Lord, just how much you love us. How extravagant your love is for us. That even though you know all about all of us, that, Lord, you unconditionally love us. And that you provided a way for us, God, to be forgiven and to spend an eternity with you. God, I pray today that there's been a time in all of our lives where by faith we were saved. And now at this point, Lord, it's not about being saved again. It's about falling in love with Jesus maybe again. It's about following the example of this woman in Luke 7 who poured out her love extravagantly upon her Savior Jesus because she just never could get over being loved by God the way you love us. God, I pray right now that these next few moments will be moments where your people have the opportunity to pour out our love upon you. And Lord, it may not even be with words because we recognize that in this passage, this woman never uttered a word. She was silent. But Lord, she was still pouring out her love upon you. So whether, Lord, our hearts are filled and fueled to sing out or whether just in silence we are overwhelmed and overcome by your love, Lord, however our heart is Wanting to respond, Lord, just help us to do so. Because, Lord, at the end of the day, it's just about our heart and about our heart for you, God. Would you move in our midst today, Lord? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, this area is always open every Sunday, but this morning I just want to remind you, you just want to come up here and you just want to meet with Jesus and just talk to him and tell him how much you love him or whatever. You want to just stay there and you want to worship and tell It doesn't matter. This is just a time for us as the people of God to say, Jesus, we love you. We love you. Would you join me as we sing?